0: Psalm 93, it's another one of these small psalms that's really packed with a big message here. Um, It's a message that we we always need to be reminded of, but I was thankful for the Lord's timing in bringing us to Psalm 93 to... um, Bring our, our hearts and minds to these realities. So Psalm 93, starting in verse 1, says, The Lord reigneth, He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith He hath girded Himself. The world also is established that it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old, thou art from everlasting The floods have lifted up, O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice, the floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. And so we are moving into a collection of psalms here, um, that will focus on uh, celebrating uh, the, the rule and the reign of God, God's majesty, God's splendor, God's um, royal reign. Now, Psalm 94 is a, is a bit of an exception to that, but you get into um, Psalm 95, uh, Psalm 96, Psalm 97, uh, all the way through Psalm 100, and they're they're going to focus on celebrate the fact that we live and we worship a God who is reigning, who is ruling. And so there's a a few things that Psalm 93 will remind us of. So probably right away we start to think about the sovereignty of God, and that's right, we should think about that. But this psalm is is a reminder to us that this world that we live in was not created for us. It was created for the glory of another, the one who rules and reigns, the one who actively accomplishes his will, Uh, the one who was from all eternity and the one who will be forever The psalm is also a reminder that if we have received salvation through Jesus Christ and we have been brought into relationship with the King of kings who's robed in majesty and strength and who does not change. So that means a few things for us. It means that if we've come to know Him, if the Lord has revealed Himself to us, then His sovereign reign and His sure word is a source of security and stability throughout our lives. The psalm really encourages us to lift our eyes above our circumstances and to look in hope to our eternal God. So we can do a couple of different things with psalms like this. We could take Psalm 93 and we could just gut it of any personal context at all and we could give an abstract message on abstract truths about a sovereign God. Or we can look at Psalm 93 and what I think is the intent of the psalm and that is for us to be reminded that the God of heaven and earth has brought his children into a personal relationship with himself and has given us great and precious promises about who he is and what he's like. And then through his word has given us a sure hope, sure comfort, that we may live in light of these realities. And so we're going to spend the first part of the message looking at um, our king. We're going to be looking at some of these doctrinal realities from Scripture. But again, it's important that we remember that we're talking about a person here, not a concept. The king out of verses 1 and 2 says the Lord reigneth, that is royal language here, the the, the Lord rules, he reigns, he is clothed with majesty, the Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he hath girded himself. The world also established that it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old, thou art from everlasting. And so we get several realities, several aspects here of our King, our Lord. Number one, the Lord reigneth. This is talking about God's sovereignty. He is a sovereign King. Psalm 115 verse 3, Our God is in the heavens and He has done whatsoever He has pleased. The psalm is a celebration of a God who is above all, a God who is ruling and reigning. It's really a celebration of what we read in First Chronicles 29, verses 11 and 12. When David says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is Thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and Thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thy hand is to do, I'm sorry, in thy hand is to make great and to give strength unto all. So the psalmist says, the Lord reigneth. He is over all. His, his power is above all. His will is overriding the will of his foes. He is sovereignly orchestrating the events of the world that he reigns over. And that world is the world that you and I currently live in. The Lord reigns. Secondly, not only is he the sovereign king, but he's the Majestic king, he is clothed with majesty. Clothed with majesty. Okay, The word majesty there, if you're just thinking about a, a literal definition, it just means excellent things. He is clothed in excellence. A very similar uh, opening of Psalm 104. When he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, Thou art very great, Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. Now, this is one of those, those concepts that we have a difficult time really uh, articulating in concrete ways. What does it mean for God to be majestic? What does it mean that He's clothed in majesty? Well, we think, number one, as far as majesty goes, we're, we're thinking about royal language here. I mean, He's the King of Kings. And he's robed, he's clothed in excellence, in majesty, in royalty. But we also think about concepts like he's, he's clothed with his splendor, with his glory. That is it's kind of strange for us to think about it this way. But but God is, is clothed with all of the godness that you could imagine all of His splendor and uniqueness and glory, so that whenever we get a glimpse of that, we just stand in awe of who He is. We stand in awe of what He is. Now, we might think about this in more concrete terms as His being clothed in glory and majesty and splendor. We could could start to walk through God's attributes. And again, we stand in awe. Of the one who is omniscient, he knows everything. The one who is omnipresent, that is he's everywhere present and nowhere absent. The one who is all-powerful, omnipotent, and we could go on and on. The one who has reigned from all eternity, and we're going to get to some of these attributes in this psalm. But he's a sovereign ruler, but he's the kind of sovereign ruler that you stand in awe of whenever you see him for who he is and for what he is. It's, it's, it's a really an, an invitation for us to, um, to meditate on the person and character of God. You know, the truth is there are times, and this is just reality, whether we want to admit it or not, there are times where we can read a psalm like Psalm 93 and just be completely unmoved by anything. Okay? We're, we're about the same after we read it as we were before. It hasn't really lifted our hearts. It hasn't really done anything except, you know, maybe we say, sure, yeah, that's true and that's good. And that's where meditation really does come into play. For us to gaze upon or for us to see the majesty of God is for us to meditate on God, on who He is and on His character. And as we begin to meditate, we begin to let our minds ruminate over these realities. Then they begin to take a real grip on our hearts. The Spirit begins to make these things alive and we begin to see them for what they are. And they begin to feed our souls as we come to realize that we have been known and loved by such a majestic God. But brothers and sisters, again, it takes meditation. It takes fixing our minds on these kinds of things for them to be meaningful to us. And so he's a sovereign king. He's a majestic king. Clothed in majesty. Third, he is an omnipotent king. That is, he is clothed with strength. We see that in the text. The Lord is clothed with is clothed with strength wherewith he hath girded himself. So now we start to get a little bit more into what God is like. What does it mean for God to be omnipotent? Well, it just means that God is the source of all power. He's the source of all strength. And so as we think about that as God and His person, Luke one thirty seven would come to mind, this reality that with God, nothing shall be impossible. The King who rules and reigns, the King who exists in all of His splendor and majesty, He does that and He can do that because He is one who knows no limits. There are no boundaries to what he can accomplish. Whatever he thinks up, he can bring to pass. Whatever his heart desires and whatever his heart wills, he accomplishes. Now think about that in relation to earthly kings. Think about that in relation to you, yourself. We have plenty of things that we would like to see happen. We have plenty of things that we hope, wish would happen that we have absolutely no power over, no control over, no ability to affect or even to manipulate. And here we're brought to a king who is sovereign and majestic and who has absolutely zero limits when it comes to his power. He does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, with whomever he wants, however he wants. Now, you get to a, attribute like that, and we can begin to see how just meditating and thinking how that characteristic of God, that attribute of God, as it applies to me and to my life and you and your life, we can begin to see where hope and comfort and courage could be found. Thinking about the fact that we are under the reign, we are under the rule of a God like this we think about the realities of Daniel 4 and even Isaiah 40 when he talks about the fact that the, the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing nothing I mean put this in perspective Russia thought that they were going to go just wipe the floor with the Ukraine and it was going to be over with like that okay they're still fighting And in all earthly reason, that shouldn't be still happening, but it is. It's because they miscalculated, right? It's because they thought they had an ability that they didn't have. God's not like that. He doesn't miscalculate. When he looks at the inhabitants of the earth, he doesn't calculate them as if they're nothing, but then they become a problem in reality. That's not the way it works. There, there, there is a drop in the bucket. There is the dust on the scales. Tiny, tiny, tiny. So that whenever, again, we think about this omnipotent king, we're thinking about a king, talking about a king who has the power and who has the strength to accomplish his will in even the most minute details. Because the big roadblocks and the big barriers that we would see as uh, a challenge, they're, they're less than the dust on the scale. It's like doing this. Okay. So he's the omnipotent king. Fourth, it says he is, it says that the world also is established. That it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old, and thou art everlasting. I'm going to get two out of that end of verse one and verse two. Number one, uh, he's an immutable king. Okay, it says the, the world is established. That means the world is fixed, it's firm, it's it's stable. And we know at a Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that the only reason that the earth is what it is, and the only reason things aren't falling apart at the seams is because they're held together by the word of his power. That the Lord is sovereignly, Jesus Christ is sovereignly holding the world together. The world is fixed and stable because he's fixed and stable. The world is um is 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 uh, Uh, firm because it's held together by an immutable God. Now, that's one thing to think about the world that way, and we could apply that in all kinds of different areas. We could talk about the realities of climate change and how that would line up theologically with the fact that the Lord has fixed the earth doesn't mean we shouldn't be good stewards of the of the earth but these are these are things that are under his control and under his power under his prerogative here but we're not going there tonight this immutable king is one who doesn't change malachi 3:6 says because he doesn't change But the sons of Jacob are not consumed. James 1.17 talks about this immutable king as one who is the giver of good gifts and, and in him there is no shadow of turning. It means whatever he was, he is. And whatever he is, he will always be. Well... When we think about putting our hopes in an individual, when we think about where we might anchor our hearts and where we might find some stability and where we might find comfort, well, this whole business of immutability is necessary, isn't it? I mean, you find somebody who's emotionally up and down and all around, you don't put much stock in that. You don't don't plant your hopes there. If this were a king who one day were as loving and kind and caring as we could ever imagine, and the next day ready to cast us in the hell for eternity, and we were up and down and all around, there would be absolutely no way for us to have the confidence, the courage, and the comfort to draw near. Okay, so this whole business of immutability is, is big, especially when we're thinking about a relational God. So he's an immutable king. Lastly, in this section, verse 2 says, Thy throne is established of old, and thou art from everlasting. Not only is he a sovereign king, not only is he a majestic king, an omnipotent king, an immutable king, but he's an eternal king. His throne is from everlasting. He's the Alpha and he's the Omega, Revelation chapter 4, 8 through 11. He's the beginning and he's the end. Which means there never was a time when he wasn't reigning. There never will be a time when he isn't reigning. He has been on the throne from before the world began and he will be on the throne long after the world is swept away and we're given a new heavens and a new earth. Well, there's a lot of of things that can be implied by this eternal kingdom that is ruled by an eternal king. You can think about the eternal wisdom that God has wherewith He rules over His people. You know, His ways are not our ways. They're far above us and they're past finding out. And one of the reasons is, is because God comes at and looks at His dealings with His people from an eternal perspective, from a perspective that you and I could not possibly get our minds wrapped around, even if we had all the information. So we think about wisdom. Again, we just think about stability, this God who has been reigning from all eternity. Okay, so this beginning of Psalm 93 really does present itself as far as our understanding of the different components, kind of like a you know, an attributes of God kind of a thing by A.W. Ping. Secondly, not only do we get this. Description of our sovereign God who reigns. But he's going to move into, the psalmist here is going to move into in verses 3 through 4. And highlight the fact that this king is the king who rules over chaos. He rules over chaos. You'll see the, the description here. It says, the floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. This imagery of the sea and of the waves and of the uh, floods being lifted up You could look throughout Scripture and see, and we're going to look at a few tonight, but you could look throughout Scripture and see that these are commonly used as metaphors for just chaos, for um, things that are out of control, whether we're talking literally about nature or whether we're talking about the wicked and we're talking about the enemies of God who have risen up against Him and against His people. So the, the king who rules over chaos, number one, we're thinking about chaos in nature. When we say that God rules and that God reigns, what we're saying is there is not a single square inch of this planet that God is not sovereignly ruling over, whether that be humanity or whether that be nature. That's a big claim, isn't it? It's a big claim. Look in Psalm 148. Psalm 148, this is a psalm that really is dedicated to the praise of of God as king, but I'm just going to look at verses 7 and 8 and then jump down to 13. But Psalm 148, verse 7, Praise the Lord from the earth, ye dragons and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and vapor, stormy wind, fulfilling His word. You see that? if you were to go up a little bit, he talks about the fact that God created um, the, the heavens and that he has set a boundary for the waters for where they can go and where they cannot go. And all of this is not in the context of some abstract facts about who God is, but all of this is meant to move and push us toward praise, standing in awe of a God who can say that the the fire and the hail and the snow and the vapor and the stormy winds are all fulfilling his word this is a god who rules over what we see as chaos rules over things controls the things that we just we we can't control i mean think about the think about the power of a of a wave power of a wave a couple of months ago we were at the beach. We were there on uh, some pretty wavy days, and one day the waves were were higher than others. and so uh, the girls and, and I were out uh, just getting slammed with waves, you know, having fun. and it's it's it became very apparent very quickly that those waves could manhandle us however they wanted to. right I mean, it, it just when, when you unexpectedly get hit by one of those waves, without having your feet planted, that's an embarrassing day on the beach. Because it does with you whatever it wants to. Okay? So what's, what's, what, what's being said here is God rules over all of that. All of that is under His control. He controls every bit of that. It, it, it's not a threat to Him. We see another picture of that in Mark 4, 37-39, you know where I'm going here when Jesus and the disciples were, were in a boat and, and the story begins with a great storm and it ends in a great calm because Jesus Christ in His sovereignty commands the winds and the waves to cease. This chaos in nature that's under the rule and reign of our kings. Our king, who's robed in majesty. But also, we see time and time again in Scripture that this also refers to chaos in rebellious humanity. Chaos in rebellious humanity. Look in Isaiah 17. Isaiah 17. starting in verse 12. It says, Woe to the multitude of many people which make a noise like the noise of the seas and to the rushing of nations that make a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters. The nations shall rush like the rushing of many waters, but God shall rebuke them and they shall flee far off and shall be chased as the chaff of the mountains before the wind, and like a rolling thing before the whirlwind. Again, here Isaiah is referring to the nation, the multitude of people, the rebellious who would rise up against the Lord. And he says, woe to them. Are they powerful? Do they have strength? Well, by human standards, yes, they do. By human standards, they, they, they have a strength and they have, uh, many of them an authority that is far above the average person, above us for sure. But what does he say? He says, woe to that multitude of people. Because God will just drive them off as if they were chaff. You know, separating the chaff from the wheat. He'll just, he'll just throw them up in the air and the wind will carry them like they're nothing. Why? Because they are less than the drop of a bucket. They're like the dust on the scales when it comes to the Lord. And so they can come together as Psalm 2 clearly lays out. They can scheme together as how they might throw off God's authority. But in the end, he laughs. And in the end, he reigns. And so we have a king here who is, again, he's sovereign. He is all powerful. He is majestic. He is a king who never changes. And he is a king who has been reigning from all eternity. And this king reigns over the chaos, the chaos that's found in nature, the chaos that's found in rebellious humanity. But we get one more thing about this king in Psalm 93. Verse 5 says, thy testimonies are sure. I'm sorry, thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. What we find in the last verse, verse 5, is that this is a king who has spoken a sure word. He's spoken a sure word. The word sure there means firm, faithful, permanent. Means he's just like he's talked about earlier with the world that is established, fixed and firm. This king has given us a fixed and a firm word, a faithful word. And so again, we said this at the beginning, but this psalm really is meant to help us lift our eyes above the circumstances that we find ourselves in at any given moment, and to put our eyes on the Lord, okay? That our minds might be fixed there, that we might look to the hills, that we might look to Him who loved us and gave Himself for us. And so this word that He's given us, this sure word, it reminds us of what Peter says, when he talks about the fact that they were there at the transfiguration, they saw the glory of Christ, but we've been given a more sure word of prophecy. We've been given something even better than that in Scripture. And so I want to give you tonight as an application to what's being said or what's been said in Psalm 93. I want to give you some sure words that have been spoken to you if you're His tonight. If you've come to know Him and love Him. If you have willingly placed yourself under His rule and under His reign. Then then here are some sure things, some fixed things that He has spoken. Number one, We've been thinking about this on Sunday mornings in John chapter 3, but it's worth thinking about again. The sovereign king of Psalm 93 has delivered his people from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. That's a sovereign act of a sovereign God. Now, you know what I mean when I say that? I mean, unless God sovereignly does that, it can't be done. Left to ourselves, we are left to grope in darkness, but God in his goodness and God in his faithfulness and kindness and mercy, God in his sovereignty has translated us to a realm that we weren't even a part of. You realize when we're talking about being translated into the kingdom of his dear son, we go back to what? Jesus said to Nicodemus, that which is spirit is spirit and that which is flesh is flesh. In other words, these things are not compatible. They don't mix. You can't go from one to the other on your own. You must be given something to get there. And what we've been given, the word that's been spoken, is that if you come to know and love and follow Jesus Christ then in his sovereign rule he has brought you out of darkness and into his kingdom number 2 talked about a majestic king okay this is a royal king who's clothed in excellence and royal garments and this majestic king has given us this sure word that we have been adopted into the royal family through Jesus Christ as children who have been loved from all eternity. That's Ephesians chapter 1, 4 through 5. You've been chosen in Christ. You've been predestined unto adoption through Christ. That's big. That's big. The, The King is sovereign. The King is majestic. The King is omnipotent. The King is immutable. And the King is eternal no matter what. Okay, whether you're his or whether you're not, God is still the same. But this sure word that the King has spoken to us on this side of the cross lets us know that we don't have to to, to hide in fear over a sovereign King who's full of power who never changes. Let's us know that He has dealt with our sin and that He has adopted us as His children and that He's clothed us in royal garments. Ephesians two six. He had seated us together in heavenly places with Christ. That's a firm word, a fixed word. That's something that cannot change. Number three, the omnipotent king, Romans 8.31 tells us, That this omnipotent king, this king who is full of power, whose will cannot be thwarted, he is for you. And so, who can be against you in any real meaningful way? No one. If the God who is the source of all power and the God who is full of all power and who executes his will, if he is for you, then who can be against you? Fourth, out of Second Peter chapter one verse four, this immutable king, the one who does not change, has given you, believer, great and precious promises that cannot fail because he cannot change. What a word. What a word. He cannot lie. And He has given us a firm, faithful, permanent Word. Fifth, the eternal King, the One who's from everlasting, again, according to Ephesians 1.4, has loved us with an everlasting love. He has handpicked you to enjoy face-to-face fellowship with Him forever. Chosen in Christ, that we may be holy and blameless before Him. That is, face-to-face with Him in love. That's been His design from all eternity. And then last, the king who rules over chaos is presently working all things together for good to them that love Him, to them who are called according to His purpose. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. That ought to be a note that strikes a chord of hope, praise, and rejoicing in the hearts of all of God's children. He reigns. He reigns over the chaos. He reigns over the things that are outside of our control. He reigns over the things that we don't like. He reigns over the things that we do like. And He is actively, sovereignly working all these things together for our good and His glory according to His purpose that you and I might be fully conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, to enjoy unhindered face-to-face fellowship with Him for eternity. And so Psalm 93, we could also say this, the Lord reigns and the Lord has given Himself to you to enjoy forever. Isn't that something? Now we don't get that until we hit the New Testament and we know what, what He's accomplished in Christ for us. We aren't brought face to face with a king who's trying to strike terror and horror into the hearts of his people. But it's a king who invites his people to come through the shed blood of Jesus Christ to know him, to know his love that's past finding out, through repentance and faith to draw near to him, and anticipate the day when we will have face-to-face, unhindered fellowship with Him forever. And so, brothers and sisters, the Lord reigns. He's clothed with majesty, and He's clothed with strength. His testimonies are sure. Holiness becometh thine house, verse 5 says, forever. And so if these promises resonate with us tonight, then as holy vessels, we really have been set apart for His honor and for His use. And again, through faith, we're encouraged to lay hold of what the Lord has given us in Christ. So may we do that as we rejoice in the fact that the Lord reigns. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you that you have given us a sure word, that you've revealed yourself to us. Uh, Lord, it's a a mercy that we really, um, uh, we just take for granted many times, most of the time, that the God who sovereignly reigns over heaven and earth has revealed himself to us, who has opened our eyes, opened our ears, made us to know that, We are recipients of your love, of your mercy, of your eternal affection. Not because we've deserved anything, but because in your kindness, you've taken pity on us. And so, Father, I pray you would bless us to take the time to meditate on these attributes, these realities that you've revealed about yourself to us. And then by faith, I pray that you would bless us to be able to embrace the fact that You have revealed these things so that we might enjoy them to Your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.